as we welcome along our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earle. Good afternoon. Nice Good. to have you with us again. Thank you so much. Great. Well, now we tried to get to this topic, but we haven't been able to. It's pet insurance. Yeah, we're going to have a bit of a chat with that about that today, hopefully. And as we edge closer to the holiday period and people in holiday mode, Cheryl Shaw's with us. Cheryl, boarding your pets is an, an important topic to have. It certainly is. And today we're going to be talking about what to look for in kennels. So what what areas you need to um, consider and we should have a really good conversation about that. Good afternoon Blake, thank you for joining us. G'day Cheryl, how are we today? Very well thank you. I'll just let everybody know a little bit about you. You're the owner of the multi-award winning Samford and North Shore Pet Resorts in Brisbane. You're also the Pet Tech Pro Pet Resort Management Software Director. You're the Director of Boarding, Daycare, Pet Sitting and Dog Training for the Pet Industry Association of Australia. You're also the Vice President for the Pet Industry Association of Australia and the Vice President of the Association for Pet and Boarding, not to mention all of the other things that you do. So (laughs) welcome this afternoon and can you just tell us a little bit about um, what's involved being the Boarding Director for PIA and what's so special about the pet industry? Well, um, I guess uh, the um, best thing of being a director with um, the Pet Industry Association is that they um, are certainly um, uh, cater to uh, to look after all the uh, different sectors of the industry, and um, they uh, have a few uh, you know, standards and guidelines and things like that that they um, enforce upon their members um, to obviously make sure that the pets are uh, health and safety and, and being looked after to the best of their ability. Um, their uh, their members are uh, all governed by strict codes of practice, and um, those codes of practices are reviewed um, quite often just to make sure that the uh, standards and guidelines that all of the members are abiding by um, are, are, the, uh, are up to date and all the latest. Uh, their members have very high standards of animal welfare um, in that uh, all the animals that uh, go into their care, whether you walk into a pet shop uh, or whether you walk into a grooming salon or a boarding facility. Um, that their standards, um, are, you know, that animal welfare is definitely at the forefront of, of their minds there. Um, they have uh, professional business ethics and um, a very high focus on consumer and pet care needs. Uh, the uh, PIAA members also have access to uh, lots of uh, information and education and training, which um, the association does uh, annually for its members, and that's just to ensure that... Uh, all of our members are kept up to date with the latest things that are going on. Yeah, um, so and that we can obviously provide the uh, best care possible. Oh, that's really good, Blake. What um, should pet owners look for when they're sourcing a boarding kennel or a pet resort? And you know, give us some tips for doing that. Yeah, sure thing. Look, uh, probably uh, one of the most important things that I would encourage uh, the consumer to do is, is to, to jump on the Pet Industry Association website and look for um, members. Uh, that way they are assured that um, you know, there are those codes of practices that those members are abiding by. So I think that's a really good point to start with, um, is just to uh, really encourage them to jump on the website um, and, and follow the process looking for that, um, for that symbol or logo. Um, the next thing looking for a boarding facility in particular um, is just to make sure that the facility has uh, nice, clear guidelines and vaccination policies in place. Um, I think uh, vaccinations is, is a very important uh, thing to, to consider, and particularly when uh, consumers are looking for somewhere to stay, making sure that, they, uh, you know, that the kennel has um, those guidelines and practices in place, particularly relating to vaccinations, um, is a really important thing to make sure that the animals are, are all going to be safe and cared for. Um, making sure that they have uh, safe and secure yards, um, so trying to go and have a look at the facility and actually make sure that um, 
all of their fencing and, and kennel blocks and everything like that are all nice, safe and secure. Um, human contact is also a very important thing to, um, to consider as well. How much interaction are the uh, animals going to be getting with, with the staff um, and on a daily basis? Um, the other thing to look out for is, is to look for their business registration and council permits as well. So um, just to make sure that not only are they abiding by the, the, the pet industry code of practices, but they're also abiding by their local laws um, that the council sets in relation to operating the facility. Um, the other, the other important thing to uh, consider and look out for as well is what experience do the caregiver have? Um, are they trained? Are they, uh, do they have uh, pet first aid uh, knowledge or animal husbandry qualifications? Um, these are all important things as well because it's, it's really important to know that, that you know, you're living your loved animal uh, with somebody who can offer the absolute best in, in service and care, but you want to know that they're obviously, um, they've got the knowledge to do so. Um, the other things to consider as well is uh, how many other animals they may be sharing with and um, what other breeds and pets does the facility hold or cater for. Um, and also uh, their feeding processes and uh, making sure they've obviously got fresh water and those sorts of things or access to water all day long. So a couple of tips. Um, I would uh, encourage people to make a list. Uh, make a list of important things uh, for you and uh, your pet, obviously, whilst you're going away. So make a bit of a bucket list and as you go around and see different facilities, you can sort of mark them off or as you call around to make sure that, you know, they are catering to everything that you want as well. Um, look at the experience of a set of the caregivers um, and the interaction that they're going to be getting. Um, do, you want, do you want your pets to be socialised with other dogs? So it's something to consider um, if your animals aren't used to being socialised or, you know, they're used to sleeping on the bed. These are all things that you should be adding to your list and that way you, when you go and visit the facilities or you're doing your research, um, you can actually tick them off as you go along to make sure that you're getting the absolute um, everything that you really want. Um, talk with your friends, um, talk with family, see what experiences they've had in the past. Um, particularly when you're creating your list, it's a good thing to go through, talk to them about different experiences, um, different uh, forms of care that they've had before and, um, and, and that way it will help you generate your list of, of do's and don'ts and wants, um, essentially. Um, and, uh, you know, use the internet. The internet's there for you to uh, go and jump on their websites, see what they have to offer. You can see their pricing, see their history, see their experience. Um, and a lot of facilities nowadays will have uh, virtual tours and uh, online photos and lots of things like that. So you can get a bit of a good gauge or an understanding of the facility uh, before you actually go out and see them. Um, which will help you narrow down your list as well. Yeah, there's some very good ideas there, Blake. What about um, the professional standards that kennel owners have to abide by? Can you give us a little bit of a guideline there? Sure, sure. Um, well, look, the uh, Pet Industry Association, or PIAA, um, standards and standard guidelines for best uh, practices of boarding kennels and doggy daycare establishments um, basically outline the principles that every association member involved with boarding of dogs and cats um, must use. Uh, to protect and welfare, uh, to protect the welfare of the animals in their care, um, by adhering to those standards and guidelines uh, for best practices, uh, people involved in the industry are demonstrating to the general community that their concern for the animals' welfare is obviously at the forefront there. So. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to consider. Absolutely. Is it a good idea for um, pet owners to visit the kennels prior to um, booking their dog or cat in? Yeah, look, um, uh, most definitely. Um, going and visiting uh, the facility is always a good idea. Um, you know, nothing will replace actually going and seeing the place for yourself. 
um, seeing you know what smells are around and those sorts of things um, because it's something that you can't gauge over the internet or over the phone. Um, so by doing that, uh, you know, it's really a good thing to do. Um, you know, most uh, professional boarding facilities um, will uh, offer guided tours and uh, inspections and things like that. Um, so uh, the best thing is to do is to jump online, check if they have inspection time, or give them a ring and just arrange a time to actually go and meet with them. Um, bearing in mind uh, the other important thing with that, though, is that uh, a lot of facilities um, do then have local regulations and so forth around uh, noise and things like that. So they may have restrictions uh, enforced on them as well um, that, that might stipulate that they're unable to do a, a public inspection into the actual boarding facility itself. But it's not to say uh, disregard that or don't go. I still encourage people to go along and um, uh, you know have a go meet the people, uh, ask questions, see what the grounds are like, because um, you'll still get a good uh, understanding and a good feeling for uh, what they have to offer, even if they can't actually take you down into the kennels. Um, as I said, everywhere, all councils are, and the regulations are, are different from, from, from the council in regards to what um, some facilities are and are able not to do. So, But um, most definitely, I'd encourage people to try and go and have a look and, um, and see for themselves. Oh, that's fantastic, Blake. Well, you certainly give us an insight today into how to um, select a kennel. So I do thank you for your valuable um, insights into that and um, thank you very much for talking with us. No worries. Pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks, Blake. And talking to us about a topic we tried to start a couple of weeks ago, but we never got there. <laughs> never and got the topic there. is pet insurance. Let's find out a little bit about this, please, Kimberly. Yeah, so pet insurance has been around for a long time. Um, but in Australia, we have a very poor uptake of pet insurance. So if you look at statistics from the UK, they estimate maybe up to 40% of pets. So um, particularly companion pets. So we're talking dogs and cats in Australia. But in the UK, they actually have insurance available for other um, fluffy pets like rabbits and things. So that's not available for us at this stage. In the United States, the estimates vary quite a bit um, between the United States and Canada. Somewhere between 15 and 25% of pets are insured. In Australia, it's less than 10%. And some, um, depending on what sort of publication you're looking at, sometimes they say it's about 3%. So I know we all feel like we're putting a lot of money into insurance for a lot of different things but pet insurance for for me as a vet is something that's really really valuable because it can give us options um well it can it can make a life-saving decision well for i imagine some in some yeah. circumstances with maybe major surgery Absolutely. for the animal that can yeah. really rise in cost can you give us some ideas sure. on that and why pet insurance would help yeah so listen like we've got the things that you don't need to plan for that you, that you can plan for you don't need a pet insurance for but it's when your pet gets sick or they have an injury or an illness okay so your classic example is the young pup that runs down the um, driveway gets bumped by a car we now have a broken leg that puppy is going to have a really good prognosis as it goes on on later into life but it's going to require a couple thousand dollars worth of surgery to fix that leg um, and so that's a real thing that's a hard thing for a lot of people yeah. that would be hard for me you know to be able to say listen I can just come up with two or three thousand dollars right off the bat and if you've got your puppy covered with pet insurance then you know you're going to be getting depending on the coverage but 75 to 80 percent of that back okay um, and so what I really strongly encourage people when you're buying a new puppy look at getting yourself a pet insurance policy that covers accident and illness if you've got extra money and you can put money Money into a wellness care, that's great. But those, again, are things you can budget for. And I don't really care, or we don't really care as vets, what pet insurance company go with. There are oodles of places that are offering it. So everything, there's there's um, pet insurance only companies, things like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the names, but Pet Plan and things, ProSure. But then there's HCF and all your regular insurers. There's Woolworths, there's RSPCA. There's a whole range of them. And so you just have to look around. The things that I 
always tell clients is to get a number of different quotes okay most of them are underwritten by the same two insurers in Australia but if you the, the, the quotes will vary um, quite widely and we want to make sure that you're asking some pertinent questions so do you have any breed exclusions for my dog? So if you have a German Shepherd that might have hip dysplasia, do you have any breed exclusions for that? Do you have any breed, any breed exclusions for pugs that have snuffly little noses? So find out what's your breed. Do you have any breed exclusions? You also want to find out what level of coverage they have for things like dental care. Dental care has been one of the things vets in Australia have been really fighting insurance companies to try to, try to get adequate dental care um, in pet insurance. And some of the companies are coming to the um, party. Some of them aren't yet. So dental care is something that's worthwhile because almost every pet in Australia will at some point of its life need some dental care um, and it, it's really helpful if you can get that covered with them. Can okay? the dental care work expensive? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So if we're talking about a, um, a seven or eight-year-old dog who's never had any um, dental cleanings, you know, scale and polishings done, they'll often come to us and they have at that stage severe periodontal disease. And that means that the teeth are essentially rotting in the bone and we have to do a lot of extractions. Mm. Um, that's a long anesthesia. Um, it's a technically challenging procedure. We're doing surgical extractions where we're doing gum flaps and bone burring and things like that. Um, and it would be um, not uncommon for that to run in the neighborhood of 1000 to $1,500, wow, okay? Yeah. Um, and, and it makes a life-changing um, improvement in your pet's health if you can do it. It's a really significant thing, but it's also a significant cost. And so we really need to be um, proactive about trying to do these. The other thing that's really important is that um, a lot of people get a new puppy and they think this puppy's young, he's healthy, there's not going to be any problems. But puppies are stupid. They do stupid things. Kittens get into all sorts of trouble and puppies do, you know, they, they just, they don't have a brain about them yet. Um, and they, they eat silly things. They get into dog fights because they haven't learned proper socialization yet. Um, they certainly can get sick with some of our infectious diseases, parvovirus and kennel cough, things like that. And those are all sorts of things that you're not expecting when you bring this beautiful little bundle of you know, puppy love home, but they happen and they happen really frequently. Um, and so you want to make sure you're covering them early. And, and it wouldn't be the first time that I've seen, you know, somebody's like, I, I just, I'm just about to get the pet insurance. And that day before yeah. is when the puppy, you know, gets into some trouble. Um, and you really need to make sure you're covering your older pets before they get older, because a lot of the companies uh, will not cover a pet over eight years of age unless they've had coverage prior. Okay. And as you can imagine, when they're starting to get into those senior years, you're also starting to see some problems with that. So really strongly think about doing it early. Is it worthwhile talking? to your vet and asking them their suggestion and what they know about pet insurance? You certainly can. I don't know of any vets who um, have any negative things to say really about pet insurance. It requires us to do a little bit of paperwork um, and if it's the very first claim for a puppy, we usually have to send in the entire history, but that's not a big deal. And it, it really makes a difference to, um, in some ways, to the job satisfaction that we get because it's not only that we get to um, do the work and help the puppies, sometimes it means we get to do a better standard of care as well. So we might not just be doing the bargain basement treatment, but we might might get to do a gold standard, yeah. which for us, from a, um, a satisfaction of our job, is good as well. And maybe mm. they can give us some direction, if nothing else. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Getting closer to Christmas, yep. people like to involve their animals at Christmas time and Absolutely. maybe buy some, some gifts for them. Yeah. Well, what's your suggestion on you know how to make them feel like they're part of the family <laughs> but think to yourself, oh, no, that's probably not good for yeah. them? Yeah. So, listen, I think it's always really important to involve your pet, um, you know, their family members these days. Involve your pet in Christmas but being aware of some of the hazards. Um, so, you know, I think it's good to buy your dog a new toy or a blanket or a bed, that kind of thing. Um, I think we need to be very wary about 
you know, giving them a big fancy Christmas meal. What about that's... dressing your dog up as a reindeer? You yeah, know? Is, that, is that good? I used to Will do that. Will the dog that. like that? Or is that I, fun? That's going to be really individual for the dog. Some dogs are going to like it and they're going to tolerate it. Other dogs, you're going to put those reindeer antlers near them and they're going to just be terrified of them. So I think it's really important you gauge your dog's level of confidence and tolerance. We don't want to overly stress them. What about if I'm wearing a horrible jumper? Can I get one for my dog for a horrible <laughs> oh, jumper? Oh, probably. Yeah. Um, remember, dogs don't see in colour, really. They're not in the same colour that we do. So he's not going to be able to tell that it's a red and green reindeer jumper that you're wearing and that he's wearing. So that's not going to be too bad. you got to remember that um, oftentimes Christmas and, and the holiday season, we've got a lot of new people coming through the house. So you've got Christmas parties, you've got lots of families. And it might be that Muffy just doesn't like old Aunt Bertha very much. And so we want to be planning for that. Where is Muffy going to go during Christmas lunch? Um, because it might be very stressful for them to be in the same room. So make sure that your pets have a nice sort of safe, secure environment away from the traffic um, so that they're feeling, you know, not overly stressed and that they, they don't, you know, sort of spend the whole day cowering on the lounge because there's nowhere else to go. Um, there's also things, you know, you might there might be fireworks around. There's lots of different noises and lights. And yeah. we've got to be really cognizant of what's happening with our dogs and with our cats with regards to that sort of thing. And then there's some of the, the normal um, dangers, you know, cats and tinsel, Christmas trees. Um, you know, that can be a really... Uh, um, life-threatening thing. If they eat some tinsel, gets caught up in the gut, that can be a real big problem. I read an article online just the other day about dogs, and mm -hmm. it says the longer they're with us, we don't give them enough credit that they can actually read our emotions, mm. and they can read how we are, what our attitude is, yeah. and uh, they can almost play to that or play away from it. They know, oh, someone's angry, I'll go and hide. Oh, sure. Bit. So do you believe that? I, absolutely. Listen, I have a four-year-old daughter, and we have some challenging times at the moment, um, and as soon as I raise my voice, my dog tail gets tucked between her legs, and she's running for the back door because, you know, she, she, she knows, um, and it's not directed towards her at all, but she's like, okay, I can tell. Yeah, I'm going to go. I want to get out of the situation before things get heated. Um, they certainly can, and that means that sometimes are going to be really excited. You've got little kids waking up on Christmas morning and they're squealing with delight. Well, the dog's going to be jumping around. And so just have a bit of, um, you know, like give them a little bit of leeway. It's pretty exciting for them as well. Um, or if you've got lots of noise happening and like I said, the little old dog is really frightened by the sounds of the wrapping paper or the kids squealing that, you know, they're not used to. Yeah. Um, just be really mindful of what's going on in your dog's, in your dog's mind we've as well. It's going to be stressful. 49216216, that's the number if you'd like to call through and talk to our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earle. 49216216. Now, Cheryl, we're looking at our uh, pet rescue animal of the week, and it's mm -hmm. a dog this week. It is a dog. It's a mastiff. Her name is Bronnie. So Bronnie's a beautiful, smart, cuddly dog. She is one year old, and she loves being with her people. She loves her food, so she's super easy to train. Bronnie has learned how to sit, how to shake, drop, and wait for dinner. She walks on a lead well, and she enjoys a daily walk. Yes, yes. Although she has learnt these with her foster family, she will need training to continue in her new home. Bronnie loves a snuggle and will curl up on the couch for a cuddle and a scratch. She is happy to spend her days outside as long as she can have some inside time at night. She has been living with another dog and cat and gets along with them well. Her ideal home would be with as an only dog as she enjoys getting all the attention. She would but she could go to a home with another dog and the right introductions. Bronnie is a large dog and she could knock over small children unintentionally, so it would be best for her to go to a home without small children. Bronnie is truly a pleasure to have around and she will love her new family unconditionally. If you'd like more information or to meet Bronnie, please contact Anita on 0400 
0607603. And Bronnie's adoption fee is $400. She's desex, vaccinated, treated for fleas and worms, microchipped and lifetime registration. Beautiful looking dog. And you can see pictures of Bronnie on our website, 2NURFM.com. All the details are there that Cheryl just shared with us also about our Pet Rescue Animal of the Week. 49216216 if you'd like to call our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earl. Adele's with us now. Hello, Adele. How are you? We're good, thanks, Adele. So you've got a question about your six-month-old puppy? Yes, yes. Um, he's a uh, border dog, which is a border collie crossed with a uh, Labrador. Yep. Um, he he's really good, um, but the only problem that we've had, had with him at the moment is he's constantly trying to escape. <laughs> mm, yes, okay. Um, we've, we've done as much as we can. You know, we... we our backyard is completely fenced. Yep. Uh, and um, but he's been sort of trying to sort of dig out under the, under the uh, yeah yeah the fence to get okay. over to the next door. And um, either that or he's actually actually even skilled our uh, retaining wall, which is yeah. almost. <laughs> yeah, so listen, I mean, the Border Collies are very agile dogs. They're also dogs that have very, very high um, exercise requirements. And then he's six months old. So that's the time in a puppy's life where they're not really, you know, sort of sleeping the way that they were when they're sort of three or four months of age. They've got a lot more energy and more stamina. Um, so a lot of dogs between six and nine months of age, their exercise requirement really goes up. And you might find that you have to double the, the amount of exercise you're giving them um, to try to keep them, you know, sort of not from being bored and, and things like that um, it's, it's hard but you often have to you know look at, at two walks a day border collies if you can get him to a place and if he's got a good recall if you can get him to a place where he can do some off lead running that's really really helpful um, there are some dogs if, he, if he's particularly determined and if there's something outside of the fence that he's particularly wanting there are some dogs that can be a real challenge to keep them inside a yard so you need to make sure for sure that, that the gates um, or the fences are, are secure and it might be that you actually have to um, go back to a little bit of um, safe crate training for a little while or or um, locking them out of that you know area where they can't dig out of it until you've sort of worked out what it is that he's he's trying to get out for and, and trying to do um, but the, the first thing I usually tr would try would be to increase the level of exercise that he's getting and you can also do things giving him a job border collies love having a job so you know you might consider not feeding him in a food bowl anymore but the food gets scattered on the lawn or you use a feeding toy like a Kong or a, um, a buster cube that, that sort of thing and that can often help to allay some of that um, misbehavior that you're seeing and we've got a question now about a cat from Lindsay Lindsay hi it's Kimberly Oh, hi, Kimberly. I'm fine, thank you. Um, I am regularly feeding a cat, which is not mine. His yep. brother came for food, first of all, skinny one. Now the other one's come. He's a very pale ginger. Mm -hmm. and I think he has skin cancers on his nose. Mm, yeah, really Anything common. Anything I can do? It's not my cat, but not I'm your willing cat. to do something. Yeah. Is he, is he friendly or is he a feral that's just coming to, to oh, snack? Oh, no, no, no. No, these yeah. live across the road in a very nice house. Okay, yeah. But oh, so you know you know where he lives. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've okay. spoken to them. Yeah. So, listen, it, it may be a skin cancer. We certainly will get some cats that will develop really um, nasty reactions, even to things like mosquito bites on the tops of the nose. Um, right. There are some things that can be done, certainly, for um, for skin cancers of the nose in cats, but they often do require surgery. Um, and I guess the thing I would always encourage you to do is to speak to the owner of the cat and say, listen, have you considered it might be this? It certainly might be impacting on the cat's welfare, and a lot of times they get secondary bacterial infections. So, you know... Simple things that you could potentially look at doing 
um, would be just sort of washing it off with a, if it's really thick and crusty and mucky, um, might allow you to get a better sort of look at it. But if you know the cat's owners, you really have to sort of leave it up to them um, unless you feel that the cat's welfare is really suffering, in which case you could take it, um, you know, to the RSPCA, that sort of thing, um, or take the case to the RSPCA. Um, but if we know that there's owners, we are tied a little bit in terms of, you know, being able to administer treatment other than first aid. So if you're going to do anything, you know, a bit of um, uh, a nice warm water swab on the nose, trying to sort of clean some of the crusties off, try to get a better idea of what it looks like. Um, we need to be very careful about the sort of topical things we put on cats because there are some products that cats can't have that are toxic for them. Um, but the best thing to do really is to, to talk to the owners and recommend they take it into their local vet. Might just be an infection, might be a, um, a reaction to mosquitoes, certainly could be a skin cancer. We say good afternoon to Brian. He's with us now for Edgeworth. How are you there, Brian? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. What can we help you with today, Brian? Well, I've got a little problem, and he's, uh, he's short and white and furry. And <laughs> right. He's a, a repeat serial offender and uh, uh, peeing anywhere he wants or going to the toilet wherever he wants to park. Oh, okay, right, so he's urine marking. Is this something he's done for a long time, or it's a new problem? No, he's, he's pretty well been he's my partner's dog. He's moved with me a couple of years ago, but yep. he's doing it at the third place. Yep. Uh, anywhere he wanted in the okay. hallway or the, yeah. and now he, he's continued to do the same we leave the door open every night but okay so, I mean, it really goes back to, to training um, when he is a younger dog. He obviously hasn't adequately been um, toilet trained for one reason or another. Uh, and it's never going to be an easy problem once they're adult dogs. So you need to really go back. Um, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when I was here about um, crate training and going back to those basic, basic steps of crate training. What we need to do is not allow him to practice the problem behavior. So what he needs to be done is treat him like a puppy. We don't trust you not to toilet where it is inappropriate. So when we're not directly with you, you um, are in a crate in a small enclosed area that you want to keep clean because otherwise you feel like you're sleeping in a dirty bed um, and dogs inherently will want to do that. Um, it's not going to be an easy task. If he's an adult dog, if he's been doing this for a while, it is going to be a challenging thing. Might be useful if he's just recently moved into your house because it is a new environment. Sometimes that primes their brain to, um, you know, everything's new and so we can learn new things. Uh, but definitely have a chat with maybe a dog trainer or your local vet about crate training and see if you can start from square one and expect that it's going to take a few months probably. All right. Thank you for your call. Hopefully some direction helps you out there. That's about us for this week. Thank you to Cheryl Shaw. Back Thanks. with us next week, Cheryl. Yes. Hey, we'll look forward to that on Pet Chat. And thanks to our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earl. It's my last time, last time for the season or we'll, for the year. We'll so. talk to you next year. Yep. There we go. And that is Pet Chat for another week here at Easy Listening 2 in URFM.